Welcome to episode 181 of No Challenges from Raining. I'm Ben Rothenberg. We have a bit of a hodgepodge show for you uh, this week and also last week because it was supposed to be a show last week. Courtney was in Dubai uh, covering the tournament there for the first time with our good friend Raim Abuleil, who is based there. And they were going to do a show together. They did not get the chance to, unfortunately. But this week, I was able to catch up with Raim on my own to sort of wrap up the three weeks of tennis that have been going on in the Middle East so far. So this is a bit of a brief show for you this week, and we will be back with you next week, hopefully from Indian Wells with a more regular programming sort of situation. But for now, here's my chat with Reem. Very excited to be joined once again by the NCR Middle East correspondent, Reem Abuleil, who is a tennis correspondent for Sport360. And the, the, tur- the tours, both tours, have been in your neck of the woods over the last three weeks with WTA in du- Doha and then Dubai and now ATP in Dubai. Rim, you were saying before we started that it almost feels like longer than a slam because it's three straight weeks of intense tennis for you. How are you, how are you holding up here two and a half weeks into it? Well, I'm kind of like crawling to the finish line. <laughs> it's uh, It's been intense uh, for me. Yeah, this really it has felt like it's it, not just felt, it really has been longer than a Grand Slam. And I even call, uh, followed the qualies because there were Arabs in the qualies. And it's been a lot of fun, but it's been nonstop. I don't, I feel like I don't remember a time before this Middle East swing started. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, that's pretty. That's pretty good, I guess. So what? So fo- so far, before we go into you know more, uh, you know specific areas, what what has stood out most to you? You've done obviously this swing a bunch of years now. What makes? What'll you? If you had to guess now, what will you remember most about this twenty seventeen set of tournaments? I think this year, basically, because for the past couple of years, Doha was on a different week. It overlapped with the men's in Dubai, so. It, it had been a couple of years since I've actually done three weeks in a row here. And the thing is, when when the WTA in Doha coincided with the men's, unfortunately, a lot of journalists didn't go to the WTA in Doha and just came to Dubai for the ATP. Uh, yeah. So this year, I was actually pleased for them more than anything for the tournament that... Uh, uh, no, the the way they moved the week back again before the two uh, the double header in Dubai, it really made a difference because there were some people there and like in general more more journalists there. For me personally, I always wanted to, I like to support the tournaments here, you know. So I've always wanted to be there, but it was it's impossible to cover two tournaments in two different cities at once, you know. So so I'm glad that that happened. Um, in in general, I felt like the fields were good as well. It wasn't an Olympic year so a lot of the women last year had to choose between like a lot of them just chose the premier five and didn't play the premier one yeah whereas this year that kind of wasn't the case because actually the top five seeds were the same in both uh, Doha and Dubai so we literally had like identical all-access hours because yeah. it was the same people um, so no I mean the fields were good and and there was some really good match honestly for me the matches were good uh, the weirdest part of it all is rain. We've had continued yeah. rain in the region for two weeks. So all of Doha and almost all of the women's week here in Dubai uh, had rain. And then surprisingly, <laughs> the Monday, the first day of the men's tournament, sun is out and it's dry. So, yeah. Is it fair to say, though, I mean, this might sound just like a stereotype, but is it fair to say from when I've been there 
you're in the desert and you don't usually get rain. And this kind of rain is very unusual there. It is unusual to have several days in a row. I mean, we would we yeah. can get like one day where it's heavy rain and stuff. And then because the cities are not prepared for rain, everything floods. You have no idea. Like the whole city, like traffic is just at a standstill and there's water everywhere and stuff. But it would happen for like a day. The weird thing has, has been that it's been consecutive days in a row for almost two weeks. Because I know that the day I flew from Dubai to Doha for the... For the before Doha started, it was already raining in Dubai, and when I got to Doha, the rain in Doha was much heavier in general, so it was like way more intense. Uh, whereas in Dubai, there were days when it was continuous, but it was like a drizzle. You know, it was just this annoying drizzle where you feel like, oh, but maybe they could have played if this was clay. You know? Yeah. So uh, that's the weird part, and I do know that they. I don't know if you've heard of this, but they're actually seeding clouds in Dubai to get more rain. Uh, so, huh. yeah, they've been seeding clouds for several years, and I'm guessing maybe this is a result of that. <laughs> well, it's a big success. It just came at the wrong time for you. And I know after how rainy 2016 was in tennis, hopefully we don't get too much more of a repeat of that for the rest of this season. Fingers crossed. We'll see. Um, it was also raining um, winds for Caroline Wozniacki, I guess. She had a, she had a, that's a good segue, right? She had a chance... Um, she was in the final of both tournaments, lost in the finals of Doha to uh, Carolina Pliskova and in the finals of Dubai to Elena Svitolina. Uh, but let's just start with Wozniacki before we get to, to those results. I guess she had a chance to be number two in the race, in the road to Singapore, rather, if she had won uh, in this D- Dubai final. So how, what do you see from her and, and how was she sort of in the swing, especially after how things went for her last year? in this part of year, and if you can also refresh on all that if people forget the whole sports illustrated thing yeah yeah last year they were mad at her because she is a an ambassador for dubai duty free and then she didn't show up to the tournament pulled out last minute and then actually came to dubai for a different sponsored event a different sponsor i think it was uh betadine or something like that anyway so mm. it, the whole thing was not great and then the tournament director uh here in dubai salah tahlak he was upset in general that a lot of the players pulled out last minute. And then he was upset that all eight seeds lost before the quarterfinals. So, and that his own Dubai Duty Free ambassador didn't show up. So, uh, no, this year it's a stark contrast to that. And I also got the feeling that Wozniacki really this year wanted to show her commitment, you know. She was... She was in a great mood and she was she really carried herself in a way where she knows like, OK, I need to make up for last year. Maybe that's how I felt. But really, like uh, and in terms of the way she was playing and just the way she's been acting with us, she's she's solid, you know, like she she's willing to put in the hard work. Uh, she's practicing a lot. She's uh, she got the wins. She wasn't com- in general, she wasn't even complaining about the rain. She got to a point where you know what, it's been raining for two weeks, I'm just going to roll with it, I don't care, I'm playing more than one match in one day, it's all right. So, um, and even her loss to Svitolina, she played solid, like... Uh, yeah, yeah. And against Pliskova as well. I guess both both finals, to me, she she was okay. The thing with Pliskova, she she kind of just killed her. Pliskova was in, a, in, a, in another level, that's how I felt. Uh, whereas with Svitolina, I think... Um, I think with Svitu- it's it's kind of weird. I think maybe as a matchup for her, maybe Svitolina kind of does be- what Wozniacki does, but better. I don't know. Yeah, that's that's how that's how I've seen Svitolina. That's how I sort of see her now, at least. Because I mean, Svitolina used to be a very retrieving sort of player. 
you know, a year ago, 18 months ago, and now she's added a lot more pop, and the forehand is obviously much better than Caroline's uh, in terms of an attacking weapon, and the backhand is pretty solid, too. Uh, Svitolina's kind of... I feel like Svitolina has gotten... And I guess I'm guilty of this, or as guilty as anybody. I feel like Svitolina has really gone under the radar for somebody who has had a lot of great wins. She hasn't done any much at the slams, granted, but she has had an incredible number of really good tour wins. You're right. And Olympics. I think we had we had uh, this conversation with her. Actually, me and Courtney asked her that when she was here because she kind of had these big wins. Okay, she beat Serena, she beat Kerber, she's done stuff like that. But then beat Kerber three times. Yes, <laughs> and then you'd look at her um, uh, her titles, and she had before Dubai. She li- all her titles were at the international level. And at weak internationals too, yeah. Not, not nothing, nothing special, you know. Of course, okay, a title win is a title win, but it's just you kind of felt that she really needed. Something like Dubai, a Premier Five. The the draw was solid. She beat a Kerber on the way. Wozniacki. Uh, so no, I mean, I think that she's finally feeling that she belongs to that group, you know. Or like, uh, I think it meant a lot for her as well that she's finally in the top ten. She's spoken about it before. Like a lot of players say, "Oh, I never care about the ranking and blah blah blah." But with Vitulina, it's like this is the happiest day of my life and stuff like that. So I think that she kind of start starting to believe more in herself and and i'm i'm liking it and you're right she did add a lot of pop to her game i could totally see. what did, what does she like uh off court no i just haven't i haven't been in that many press conferences with her recently I'm just trying to wonder what what you sense from her in terms of how she's cause she seems very sort of all business or not like not especially goofy I guess is the way to put it. Look, for some reason, I've literally interviewed her so many times because she trains in Abu Dhabi during the off-season most years. Mm. So I would go down in December and just attend her practice and hang out with her for a bit. So she actually knows me. But at the same time, no, she is very business-like and and it's not easy to get her to lighten up when when you're talking to her, but that's just her personality. Uh, but of course, after she won the title, she it was like a completely different version of her as well. But in general, yeah, she's uh, she. You know what? She was flying under the radar the whole week here, even though she was getting the wins. She was seeded number seven, I think. But she wasn't getting the attention that the others were getting. And I guess I think she will loosen up more in conversation the more wins she gets. You know, because she will be in that press conference room more and more. Uh, but it's sometimes hard to get her to like open up, uh, at least in my experience. Is she still working with Justine Ennen? No, because Justine is having a baby. Oh, another one. Okay. Yeah, so she's not with her, but she did say that like Justine texted her before the final saying congrats on making the final and good luck and stuff like that. But I don't think that they're actually talking much about her tennis at the moment. She has a completely gotcha. new team as well, which maybe explains... Her start to the year, I guess, because she's working, I think, with Thierry Asion. Am I not? If I'm not mistaken, right? Mm-hmm. That sounds right. Yeah, and she, she changed. She she told me that she changed up the whole team, so it's not just like a coach or so, like the coach, uh, hitting partner, stuff like that. So yeah, I think maybe that's also made a difference for her. You, we mentioned that Svitolina has beaten Kerber three times, uh, twice this year, and then I guess last year in China once. Um, you, Kerber was at both these tournaments. Kerber had a chance to be number one get back number one in Doha uh, this week, and she didn't do it. Uh, overall, what do you sense from her in terms of how her mindset is on, on her start to the year, on what a lot of people would think is a disappointing start to the year, given that she started the year at number one, 
Um, hasn't made a final yet, I don't think. Hasn't uh, had, you know, really too many good wins to speak of. And, and taken a lot of losses, a couple repeated losses to players like Svitolina and Kasakina, who on on paper she should be beating. Yeah, I think uh, Courtney had pointed out that uh, Kerber in Dubai, that was the first time she, uh, this year that she had won back-to-back matches at a WTA event. So she finally did that in Dubai. I had I sat down with Kerber at the start of Doha, and she the sense I got is that was that she was trying not to over dramatize her start so to the year. So she was like, "Oh, it's no drama. It's no drama. It's fine. It's no drama. I just need to find the confidence again in my game and stuff like that." And then she lost to Dasha uh, there. Uh, while as in Dubai, she she was completely different in that she just because she got those two wins back to back, she already felt completely different. She was talking in a completely different way. Uh, she actually got gave me the sense that oh okay she's okay Kerber might actually win this. You know, a lot of people were thinking that it was going to be a Kerber Wozniacki final, but then she she lost that match to Elina. So I th- I feel like with her it's still baby steps to be honest because she's taking she would take like a I feel like she's taking two steps forward and one step back you know that's how that's the sense I'm getting right now with her um, and yeah I mean maybe when she goes to the U S it's gonna be different I have to say that the conditions here as well are not great for someone who's trying to look for confidence you know someone who's still has no rhythm playing in this kind of weather kind of sucked I have to say so. Um, yeah, maybe maybe in the U.S. things will turn around for her. But yeah, she was definitely not convincing. Maybe a couple of matches. She was very convincing against Puig. That match for me is the one that stood out the most because Puig really played well. She didn't do much wrong, and Kerber still beat her in straight. So um... yeah, it was two and three. Yeah, that's a really good win for her. A little Olympic revenge. Um, I guess. I guess. So overall. What would you say is, before we get to the men, just what was sort of like the mood of these tournaments? You, you mentioned last year the frustration the tournament director had about the withdrawals and things like that. This year, I mean, the fields are pretty good. Like, I mean, I see most top players here, minus the Williamses, um, I guess, are the only ones I'm jumping out at. And Madison Keys is out, so just the Americans. Is there anybody else big who's not here? I'm trying to see. So, because Natsova, who's made the final here, she couldn't. Okay. She's injured. They like her here. And um, also, I think a big blow for, for this region was Joe Conta, because there's a lot of Brits here, and they, oh, okay. and they really turn up for Andy, and, and I think they would have turned up for Joe. Joe has actually never played in the Middle East, so um, I think both tournaments were looking forward to having her, and then she, she pulled out of Doha, citing a change in schedule, and then pulled out of Dubai the day of the draw. I mean, it went so under the radar, we didn't even realize until like after the draw, we're like, oh, wait, where's Joe? Oh, what just happened? And then they actually, sh- they did the draw with her, I think, and then they shifted it. And we had the number nine seed, the uh, Stritzova takers spot, something like that. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I think that was a bit of a disappointment for them just because I know that they can, in terms of ticket sales and stuff, uh, the British community here would have probably showed up. But uh, in general, it was... I think the weather didn't help Doha at all, unfortunately, so the stands were empty most of the time. Uh, Dubai was better, but of course, if the weather was better, more people would have showed up. Yeah, for sure. But the matches themselves, honestly, were great. I think for me, the only disappointment was that uh, Pliskova 
who did well in Dubai before and she had made the final here a couple of years ago, she she was completely burnt out when she came here after the Doha win because she played four matches in three days in Doha. So by the time she came to Dubai, it was late, did some press, all-access hours, stuff like that, and then lost her first match. Uh, so that, that was... Um, that was a bit of disappointment, but I think a big deal here was Ons uh, Jaber. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the Tunisian girl. She's the highest ranked Arab and she's trying to make her way back. She had dropped out of the top 200. Uh, she didn't have a great year last year. And then this year, she has been playing some really, really good tennis. She's qualifying to several main draws for WTA tournaments. And she had a four match points against Vitalina in Taipei. Uh, uh, which would have, I think that was in the quarterfinals. So, she, yeah, had she beaten Svitolina, had she converted any of the, those four match points, she would have made it into the semis. And then here in Dubai, uh, in Doha, she lost in qualies to Christina McHale in a match that was quite close. And then in Dubai, she qualified, and then she beat uh, Anastasia Pavlichenkov in the first round. Yeah, it's a good win. Which is a good win. And then, uh, and then she lost to Wang Kiang, who actually had a really good tournament and was playing some lights out tennis at some point. So it wasn't, in retrospect, it was not a bad, lo- bad loss. Um, but no, I think it, it's weird because it was a big deal in terms of us Arab journalists covering it, but the tournament kind of did not acknowledge her at all. She was scheduled on court one and court three and stuff like that, which generally you'd think that Maybe with the Pavlyuchenkova match or something, they can put her on center. Uh, but I thought it was better for her that she was like, you know, a bit under the radar in the smaller courts, doing her thing. It's the same courts where she played qualies, you know. She did quite well. Yeah, obviously you cover a lot of the, the Arabs and the in general. And, you know, I guess uh, Malak Jaziri also played. He played Murray first round in the men's draw and... Uh, Fatma Amabani played, and you wrote about this for, for Racket Magazine recently, which you tagged me in your Instagram story for, which was a first in my life, so I felt like a real millennial or something. It was great. Um, but but yes, I guess how how much focus is there on these players, and how do, do, do the locals of Dubai embrace this girl from, from Tunisia, or do they do they not care? You say the press cares, but do the, do the, lo- do the locals care? Tell you what, it was hilarious because uh, Jeff, uh, who, do, who does comms for WTA, had no idea the kind of, the way Ons gets mobbed every time she gets off the court. Like, he, d- he didn't know that that's what happens. So the first day, he knows I know Ons well, and, and Courtney wanted to speak with her as well. So he just said, oh, okay, go to court one and you guys can can handle it and then I went there and literally she's getting mobbed by so many people (laughs) whether they're fans whether they're journalists whether you have no and then she's such a nice girl as well she's never going to say no to anybody so she spent she can spend like 45 minutes after a three set match and she needs to go and warm down and do all these things um, or cool down or whatever and then and then she would stay for like 45 minutes talking to people, signing stuff, uh, doing TV interviews, doing other video interviews, you know? So uh, the next time I told Jeff, by the way, you need to go, he, Jeff was literally like fighting between people trying to get to her. <laughs> yeah, just imagine that. <laughs> so um, no, they're very popular because in general, like with, especially in the Arab world and especially after the Arab Spring and all the revolutions that happen and stuff, 
we moved around a lot. I mean, I'm I'm moved from Egypt as well and came here, and so there's there's so many uh, Arabs from other countries who live in Dubai, and actually there's so many people from all over the world who live in Dubai. But yeah, in, in general, uh, they do embrace someone like Ons doing well is a big deal. Someone like Melek doing well is a big deal. Fatma, unfortunately, I was unlucky in both Doha and Dubai. She didn't do great in qualies. Uh, and she played the doubles with Mona Bartel in the main draw here. They didn't do that bad, but they lost in the first round. Uh, so in terms of fans, no, it's it, fans and media. It's a big deal for whatever reason. The tournament sometimes maybe underplays the situation. I don't know. Right. But in Doha, it's different. Doha actually like they schedule the they scheduled Fatma Stritsova on center court there. Uh, Fatma actually had kind of a half decent start against Jitsova, broke for two love, stuff like that, and then she lost, I think, four in love, uh, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, I mean, uh, it, uh, there's a difference between Doha and Dubai, I must say, when it comes to how the tournament would treat the Arab players. Yeah, with Doha being much more. Yeah, I think. Recept- yeah. Yeah, Doha. I think it's just a different, different priorities. You know, Doha it's owned by the federation. The tournament there is owned by the federation, so they care about the, they care about showing that their, whatever, whether it's their development program or from other neighboring countries, is doing a, a, a decent job. You know, whereas here it's Dubai duty free. It's a very commercial tournament. It's it's a bit different. You know, so. Yeah. Speak, speaking of things that are a bit different, um, this would be a hard, rough segue here. Um, you talked to Andy Murray about taking his pants off for his mother-in-law. Um, what, was, what, was your, what were your thoughts on that? Because you obviously, I could tell on, on, just from online communications that you were very amused and, and just the background on, on Andy's uh, pants dropping. I mean... And his shingles. Yeah, first of all, shingles. Like, that that was the start. Like, And he said it in uh, during on, on Media Day. He said it, like, in such a nonchalant way. Like, I actually had shingles. And then, like, a couple of minutes after that, we were ending the interview. And I was like, hmm, but shingles? How did that happen? You know, like, you need to kind of revisit it somehow. Yeah, and he's young to be getting shingles. That's the thing. Usually I think of shingles as being like, some people getting their... 50s and 60s and 70s and so on it's like uh yeah it's not normally for someone in their still in their 20s end of their 20s but still you know how nerdy andy is with something so he obviously researched everything about it and gave us like a a, a mini tutorial about shingles uh, in the press conference but basically he says that like it's a virus that we all have in us and then it comes out some from chicken pox yeah something like that so but yeah he yeah. Uh, so that so when he told us on media day we didn't really talk much about it and then <laughs> in the press conference it was quite funny because he had mentioned just we were asking him did you feel tired at all coming back from the shingles and whatever and then Stu Fraser came into the came into the room a bit late and he walked in and he was like Andy I'm sorry I'm late but has anyone asked you about the shingles <laughs> so, <laughs> so Andy looked at him and just laughed and said well it depends well, it's been mentioned, but it depends what you want to ask about the shingles. So that was how it even started. <laughs> and then, uh, and then, yeah, he started explaining to us how like it's weird that the rash comes from your bum, and I'm quoting him, up to like his stomach, and then it never crosses to the other half of your body, and it's weird and whatever. And then he said, yeah, I was having dinner with my the mother of my wife, <laughs> and uh, and she was like, I think it's shingles. Uh, get up, drop your pants, show me. <laughs> and the funny thing is, like he said, okay, 
<laughs> and then turns out that she diagnosed him right because the next day he went to a doctor and she was right. So um, that happened. And then the end of the press conference, I was talking to him about because he was getting whistled at when he took off his shirt. And then I was like, so does that like sound ridiculous to you when that happens? And he's like, it doesn't happen that often. <laughs> So, yeah, uh, in his typical self-deprecating self, he said that. And then uh, he said that he finds it embarrassing. He gets embarrassed. So, yeah, it was, uh, it was quite fun. I, l I love uh, the Andy in Dubai. He's kind of like in such a chilled mode and in a good mood. And I'm liking it. Yeah, I think general, just generally, I think this time of year, people are general, players are generally in a good mood. You know, I think there's like a long time till the next huge tournament, the next Grand Slam. So maybe they're a little bit relaxed. They're still relatively fresh from the off-season. Um, they're not burnt out yet. And I feel like this carries through to Indian Wells. People talk about it with Indian Wells, but I feel like probably in February it's just as true. You know, it's it's a nice time to see these uh, tennis players, and they're generally yeah, I, pretty chipper. Not very high stakes for some of them, I guess. And then at the same time, I have to say that this tournament is so idyllic. It's so... Uh, you have no I, you've never been here right you haven't been to not to the tournament no so the tournament is so cozy and and cute and the weather's typically amazing so this week it's been great so since monday it's been amazing and those they stay in an on-site hotel so they don't need to really go anywhere and uh, there's a pool outside so they can jump in the pool if they want to and they're just really relaxed so you're not even getting into a car and going somewhere and dealing with traffic or doing of any any of this stuff uh, and then the the stadium itself is like surrounded by bars and restaurants and it's always full of people just sitting there from the morning day drinking or just chilling watching stuff on the big screen and uh, there's like a corona corner with bean bags and stuff where you can just lie on the ground and so it's very cute and cozy and like stress-free that's that's the feeling I get when I'm here yeah very cool well last last thing uh, just one ma match result that happened right before recording how much does the vibe of the tournament get hurt today by Evgeny Donskoy somehow beating Roger Federer despite like trailing by a whole lot the whole match how much does that does that because that, that was a bizarre not bizarre but like a very unexpected result and even during the match there was no reason to think he'd finish it bizarre is the right word just because if you watch the match I mean even Federer I've never seen Federer like out of words like that like because he was like I'm still digesting how I'm sitting with you here after losing. And he's not saying that in any, uh, in any way disrespecting Donskoy. He's shocked because he had three match points in the second set. He was up 5-2 in the third set. He was up 5-1 in the tie break. In the yeah, that was the main one. But all of them, seriously, it's not just one of them. This is shocking. I mean, he couldn't serve out the match. And even the first set, the one that he won, he was up, uh, I think, 5-2 got broken when serving, out, uh, serving for the set. Then he closed it out 6-3. And then the second set, he, ha he saved one set point at 5-6. Uh, and then uh, the whole thing is just a mess. He, had, he was up 6-4 in the tie break in the second set. Couldn't close out those two match points. Got a third one at 7-6. Couldn't close that one out. No, it's insane. And then obviously the 5-1 and the tie break in the third set. And the way, the thing is he got really heavy in his movement all of a sudden. So he wasn't even moving properly. And he was so tentative on his volleys and shots. Things that are so basic to him. And it was so opposite to how he looked like in the first round. And even in kind of in the beginning of the first set. 
so no it was bizarre and of course for the tournament they're celebrating their 25th uh, anniversary and Roger for them is a seven-time champion he lives in Dubai honestly man the first two rounds sellout crowd there's not a single empty seat and I mean, we all know how Roger, people react to Roger everywhere in the world, but I have never yeah. seen what I've seen the past couple of days. They literally hear his name. He has not appeared yet. Sometimes the announcer just says his name for whatever reason, and they start screaming. And I'm like, he's not here, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> and it's been mental. I've never seen... I feel like because, first of all, he wasn't here last year, and also he's coming off the Australian Open win, and it's like his first appearance since then. People have gone, like, nuts. Yeah, I almost wonder if after the Australia win, this is still sort of like a victory tour almost for him after that. Yeah, I mean, he, he took he took four weeks off, went to the Swiss mountains. It looks like he had, like, quite a, a relaxed time, not that much training. And he also said uh, that he got the all-clear for his because he had an in, uh, the groin injury that bothered him in Australia that he still had that and uh, <clears throat> and he said that he didn't tra- practice much before Dubai because he, he was only given the all clear like three days before the draw or mm-hmm. something like that so um, so yeah I mean he's still pro- he says that he's still processing the Australia win up until now and he says that because he's like, well, this is his first tournament since. Everyone is still like really congratulating him and all the players and stuff. So he's still kind of in that mood. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I wouldn't read too much into today's loss. It's just very bizarre how he had so many opportunities. It wasn't one or two or three or anything. Uh, yeah, he had a lot. Uh, that that was the bizarre part. And of course, I'm sure the organizers. I mean, they they bank a lot on him, and um, uh, so for them, I guess it's a blow. But uh, I mean, good on Donskoy. He fought hard, and he was going for both on for the forehand and the backhand. To be honest. Yeah, he put no, no. He played he played really well, and yeah, Federer definitely had his opportunities, but alas, you know, I'm sure he's not. I'm sure he's still pretty happy with the start to his 2017 overall, and and he still looks he looks like he's relatively healthy. I would still expect him to play. And he was in Miami. I don't think anything got sidetracked really there. Mark is always going to be the clay, and he was very vocal about that here uh, in saying that he's going to decide about the clay after Miami. That was, Yeah, that was interesting. <laughs> the, the funny part for me was Donskoy saying that Mikhail Yuzhny was coaching him here, was kind of like helping him out. Mm-hmm. Really? <laughs> I don't think Yuzhny has beaten Roger. Yeah, Yuzhny's like 0-15 against Federer. Yeah, exactly. So maybe not the ideal coach, but you know... Sometimes you're better at coaching than you are at playing certain things. Exactly, yeah. These things happen. Well, the one who is the best at doing pretty much everything in the Middle East is you, Raim. Thank you very much Aww, for being on NCR again. Uh, people should follow you along with you uh, on Twitter, at Raim Abulail. And you're on all sorts of social media. I mean, you're like a Snapchatter. <laughs> you're an Instagram storyer. You do, you're, like, doing everything. So how else? And obviously you're on Sport 362. But how, how should... um. How should people, what are the best ways to follow all of your wide breadth of coverage here? So uh, I, I try as much as I can to chronicle my day on the Instagram stories just because it's such a an easy and cool way to do it. Uh, because you just keep skipping through these mini clips and get to see exactly what I'm doing throughout the whole day, you know, so it's quite nice. 
so yeah, and I'm at Rima Bulel on all social media. So whatever it is, if you search for Rima Bulel on Snapchat or Instagram or Twitter, uh, that's where I'll be. And of course, port360.com. We're posting a lot of videos. And if you are in Dubai or Abu Dhabi, you can actually catch the newspaper, Sport360. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I'm always really excited when I fly through through uh, Dubai en route to somewhere and find a copy of Sport360. I know it's you. so nice that you guys always, I think Petra did it as well, and Eleanor and Nick Imerson, or I don't remember, like, they, I get so many pictures of people on the plane reading it, and they always send it to me, and it's like, I always, it's, it's just one of the nicest things you can do for me. I love it. I don't know why. <laughs> it's worth flying to Dubai just for that. Uh, thank you very much, Reem, for being here, and we will enjoy following along the rest of your coverage. Thank you, Ben. Bye-bye. See you soon. We just